Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. On today's podcast, I chat with good buddy and fellow North Carolina guide, Captain Jot Owens. Captain Jot is a North Carolina legend and knows how to get the job done when it comes to nearshore fishing. In this podcast, we discuss all things nearshore fishing and how we make sure we're prepared every time we leave the inlet. Hope you all enjoy the episode. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Jot, thanks for jumping on another podcast with me, man. We've done them before, but it's been quite a while. I'm excited to, to chat with you. Um, just a, a legend in the game and, and uh, OG here in North Carolina. So thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me, Judd. It's, uh, it's been a little while. Um, we both have been busy um, coming here into a summertime quickly, um, trying to catch up from the winter. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, man, the, the wind and everything else, but uh always happy to sit down and talk to you yeah man I, we were talking about the wind before we hopped on here but man I, th- I i did the numbers a couple days ago and i've canceled more trips this spring it's not really spring anymore but i canceled more trips this spring than the last two combined because of wind i yep. had, had a lot of fly trips and light tackle trips and stuff like i know you run as well and it's just hard in that when it's blowing 30 out of the north it's pretty impossible <laughs> it is it is yeah i, I lost 14 days uh to weather in just may god and you know, and that's that. You know, May May is always a, a breezy one, not as bad as April. But but this year in particular, May acted a lot like April. Yeah, uh, temperatures and wind. And, and I'll be honest with you, I I don't run as many trips in April as I do May. But I honestly, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I believe I may have run more completed trips in April than I did in May this year, just uh, because of wind. And yeah. you had better wind breaks during April. Which was great for getting out for the Benito and the Big Spanish, but um, but it's it's a different you know it's a different clientele in April. Um, yeah, so sure. maybe if you're looking for those other species like the cobia and stuff, you know, 
Definitely. It's, uh, it, it's, it's fun. It's such a fun time of year to be in the ocean, you know, through the spring. Yeah. Um, but you're dealing with those like just brutal weather patterns and whatnot. So, uh, it, it could, I mean, I, I feel like, man, I, I feel like in the past, I've just spent so many more days in the ocean this spring and I feel like I don't even really quite know what's going on out there yet this year. So it's, uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's been intriguing me to get out in the ocean some more. Uh, instead of inshore, but my overall my fishing has been a little tougher this year. But but hopefully if we get into some some warm, consistent weather patterns. Um, you know these fish will kind of fall into a pattern and be good to go. But I think today I, I want to get into your backstory again, uh, since we haven't had you on in a while. But also you know kind of going forward into the podcast, I think me and Jot were talking about discussing you know flounder fishing. He's just an incredible flounder angler, and, and I think we all have a lot to learn from there. But just kind of ocean. Um, and inshore fishing, but uh, uh, kind of preparation for summertime. Like, how can we be ready when we hit the water for anything that we might run into? Uh, w- which is uh, which is a topic I feel like Jot will be really good for. So, um, it will kind of might be all over the place, but I think we'll kind of find our stride in there. But Jot, take people through your story growing up here and how you kind of fell in love with fishing and became a fishing guide. Well, it started, it started pretty early. Um, I actually had my first job when I was 13 years old in a fish market at Wrightsville Beach. Wrightsville Beach Seafood, right beside the old Middle Island restaurant for some of you uh, a little bit aged out there. <laughs> um, and uh, and by, by 16, I was commercial fishing some, and I did a little bit of everything. Uh, green stick, yellow fins, blue fins, uh, bottom fishing grouper, king mackerel, commercial king mackerel. Uh, mostly ocean stuff, uh, did some clamming in the wintertime as well to get through the wintertime when the wind was blowing. Um, and then, uh, then I started to mate on offshore boats. So I worked on the whipsaw with Robbie Wolf. I worked a lot with, with, with Jimmy Bass from the Fortune Hunter. Um, and then, uh, Jimmy bought a small inshore boat and started running, running inshore fishing trips. I'd always done inshore, like tackle fishing for fun. And, you know, it, if you really think about it outside of Florida and even Florida, if you really put the, the, the time together, Inshore, nearshore fishing, especially inshore, is a relatively new thing, especially guiding and, and charter boats. Um, you know, it's not anymore. I'm, I'm 44 years old. I've been guiding for nearly 26 years now. But really, especially in North Carolina, it's, 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 it's fairly a new scenario. Um, and so I started doing that. And, uh, and now for 17 years, I've had my own business. And uh, I've had the same boat for 17 years. And, sometimes and it looks brand new. It's that's it blows my mind. Your boat looks brand new. You take such good care of your equipment, which I'm jealous of. <laughs> well, I've learned that it's easier to keep a clean boat clean. I mean, <laughs> that is very true. That is very. It true. sounds so basic, gosh, it's true, man. If, if I get back in the day and it's dirty, it's really bad. It's hard to get get, get in front of it, um, and it's tough, man. I mean, that's that's one thing. Uh, my uh, my wife uh, gets gets on me about being so anal about the boat, but not the house. Is that so? Uh, <laughs> so is it something that's that that plays in, into your whole life? Are you pretty organized and clean with everything, or is it really just like your fishing gear that that can you? Uh, man, it, honestly, it comes down just about the boat, yeah. boat and fishing gear. You know, I don't like I don't like a dirty truck, but I, it'll be a while before I clean it. Find this guy, I got <laughs> right. uh, you know. But the boat, the boat deal is just it's uh, it's my office. People yeah, step for in sure. My office every for sure. Day. Um, and that's clients appreciate that, man. And it, just anyone who hops on your boat just appreciates when, like, if my boat is really clean, I always get a comment about it. You know, they're, they're yeah, they're, absolutely. They're people notice it. Yeah, yeah. People are like, "How old is this boat?" My boat's 16, 17 years old. They're like, "What?" Uh, you know, but it, uh, you got to take care of it. And I, you know, it's easier to when you take care of stuff. It, it, it not only does it last longer, but then when you do have to do repair, 
you're not digging through the grime and dirt and grease or whatever to get right. to that hull drop line, to get to that wiring. You, you, you know what you've seen it, you kept it clean. And that really, for me, pays off because, you know, for us as fishing guys, when something breaks, we've got to get it turned over quickly. For sure. Um, because time is money, and, and we don't want to miss that next trip the very next day if all possible. Correct. Um, so that, keeping stuff organized in that, knowing your boat, all that, you know, I've had the boat for 17 years, I know it well, but, but honestly, keeping stuff uh, clean and square will help you stay on the water longer and not miss those opportunities. If I break down or something goes wrong with that boat, right on to just doing the maintenance as well, not just cleaning it, then I, I lose money. But not only that, I look at it like this. And I, this is something I, I try to get myself to think about all the time. Put yourself in the shoes of your customer. How excited they are to be out there fishing. This is a full adventure. After me doing this 26 years, it is a grind, of course, but I have to always stop and tell myself, don't forget these people are trying here to have a good time. Yep. This is a new, totally new adventure for them. Like it's, it's brand new today. And just because I've done it every day doesn't mean I need to be, you know, to be down or low about it. I got to be ready to grind. So having your equipment right so you don't break down and ruin that day for those people, that sure. is very important to me. For sure. It's a, it, it, that's a really good way to put it. And really a good mindset for any job that you might work of, of just like, just remembering the people that you deal with each day, like just to be prepared to be the best you can be, uh, especially in the customer service world. Uh, it, when you have customers that you're, you know, doing something like we're doing, or even just, you know, a restaurant or something like that, where, where you can just really, um, your mood and your, how you're acting can affect the outcome of their, their time there. You know what I mean? So, so. Absolutely. And that, and that brings up, you bring up a point, you say customer service, you know, after doing this for this long and seeing this industry change, and, and it has changed. I mean, not, not in some ways big time, in some yeah. ways it has not, but a lot of people, a lot of people think we're in the fishing industry. And we, we are, we're in the fishing industry, but we're in the customer service industry, number one. Um, and that's why I, I find it so important to make sure that, that I take care of recreational anglers overall from the, the anglers that are on my boat to, fisher, to fisheries management and stuff like that. Um, and so it, it, it is a customer service industry, and, and a lot of people don't understand that. And I say a lot of people, a lot of people in this industry don't understand that, I believe. Yeah. I, I'm a firm believer, and I've said it before, too. And, and let's be honest, it, catching fish is important. I mean, people book trips because they want to catch fish. But I think that you could take clients on a day on the water, catch nothing, but if you – you know, if you control everything that you can control, your attitude, the, your, you know, your time, your conversation with them, and do the best you can can with the best you can with the controllable variables of that trip, they'll come back for another trip. I mean, that relationship Absolutely. part is, is so important. And and when you can combine the two, the catching the fish and the good time and the relationship, I mean, that's when you've got some lifelong clients and lifelong friends through it. So, but it's easy to say that, and it's also, you know, you got to remind yourself uh, self as a as a uh, guide sometimes on the water each day of like, all right, suck it up. It's tough, but let's see what we can do here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get people all the time say, you got the best job in the world. And I have to always remind them they see the best part of it. <laughs> right. Right. That's <laughs> They're very on true. The boat, the fishing part. And we tell you what, that's the best part of it for me too. Yeah. But there's an hour before there's two hours after there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so seasonal weather. I, you know, I could go on. I think, so this is a separate point here, but when you were talking about your Ranger, I, I thought about it. And for the fact that that is a 16-year-old boat, it just shows, just a separate comment here, how far ahead Ranger was in their bay boats at that time. 
Because you look at that yeah. boat and it looks so much like a new bay boat that you'd get. And like a top of the line, brand new bay boat. And so many bay boats still aren't even to that point. Um, so is, are you in that boat? Do you have any, any mindset of ever changing or do you, I mean, uh, t- tell me about your boat a little bit. I, I tell you, you know, it's one of those things is, is I started looking, so I started working a little bit during COVID, uh, and then boats, you know, boats, well, there were no boats. Right, right. <laughs> oh, so, uh, so that kind of, so I repowered, um, and, uh, I just went ahead and repowered and the, the old motor, the old 250 I had ran uh, fine. I had over 4,000 hours on it, ran fine. Um, but I got rid of it while I still ran where I had a little value. Um, so repower just for peace of mind for me, right. um, guiding every day. But, but, you know, I, I've, I've had this conversation with so many of my clients and, and other guys, you know, like yourself, of, would I like to have a new boat? I would. But the problem is, is I don't, what I need or want and need and want is, is a double, double there. A boat that's built right. that's going to last. Cause I'm not a, a turnover right. boat guy. Right. Uh, I, I, I like, I like, I like to build, I like to, to rig them. And I enjoy it. And this boat is rigged perfectly. To get into a boat like this, close to this quality, is over $100,000. Oh, it's insane how expensive they got. I mean, it, it is unbelievable. So I, I, I weigh it out and I go, okay, I could go cheaper and not be as happy and not have the, the range and the ride and the dependability and just keep it two or three years and turn it over. Or I can just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And, I- and right now, the way it sits, uh, it's just business wise. I'm really happy. Would I like to see things change in this ranger? Yeah, it's a little low to the water, uh, which is great for inshore fishing. It can make itself an ocean sometimes. Um, but other than that, it's just it's got so much room for a 22 foot boat. It's got so much storage. Yeah. Um, it's the comparable stuff rigged is going to be over 120 thousand dollars for sure. Um, and I, I just I don't I'm not I don't want that right now. I, I just, mean you know. I feel like you could probably sell that Ranger now, 16 years old, for more than you paid for it back back in the day. I mean, it, it's it's very close to that. I looked at the blue book uh, last year, um, you know, looking when I was looking at boats, and and it's kind of like the whole scenario with COVID. You know, that, that you can sell your house for top dollar, but yeah. guess what? What do you, you got to buy? <laughs> right, and you got to buy another boat. You're gonna have <laughs> to join. You, you sell it and then join that boat club at Carolina Beach, the Freedom Boat Club. <laughs> That's it. I'm, I mean, just, I'm just kidding. No, I, I think I love that boat, man. I think it's laid out perfect. And I mean, as a guide too, there's so much value in having a boat paid off. I mean, it's just your cash flow is so much better. And it's oh yeah, it's and then when something breaks, it's not like oh, I got to make my boat payment this month and fix this, you know, five hundred dollar issue. Yep. So and that's why you take care of yourself, man. I, 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 so many younger guys have come to me, or or, or 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 younger people that want to be guys, and I can't stress enough. Take care of your stuff because that's how you save money. Absolutely. That's how you say, I mean, that's really how you save money in this industry. Take care of your gear. For sure. For sure. I, and, and yeah, like, like I said earlier, like that boat looks brand dang new, but let's get into, um, we, we got, we kind of talked about your backstory and, and how you got into it. And, uh, let's talk about, you know, where we're at right now. It's summertime. And there's a lot going on. What are what's what's your kind of day on the water look like? If you've got a really nice weather, you know, day or a couple weather days, what is your mind, you know, kind of trying to wrap around as far as what are you going to have on the boat and what are you going to maybe do with clients that are open to kind of go for whatever? So right now this time of year, like we're talking about, ocean is hard to beat. I mean, I'm catching some decent, you know, redfish and of course plenty of flounder inshore. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but I, I really I'm really passionate about cobia fish and like to catch cobia. They're they're a good challenge. They're really good to eat. 
Uh, clients that don't know about them love them after they catch one, and clients that know about them can't wait to go catch them again. That's a good way to put um, it. Yeah, and it's it's so it's I do a lot of cavy fishing when the weather's right, but you know we got we got some great bonuses in there. We're out there looking for cavy, whether it's sight fishing or looking for bait balls or fishing on the inlet. There's always Spanish mackerel to cast to yeah. uh, on light tackle. So we all you know we caught a bunch of Spanish today. We're cavy fishing day. We didn't see any cavy today. We caught a couple big sharks. Um, we, um, had a really nice barracuda the other day when I was fishing a bait ball. Um, so you, there's some other actions. So the cool thing is about, about, you know, fishing up and down the beach this time of year. Uh, I'm trying to look for a cobia, but I know I'm going to see some mackerel. I might see king mackerel. I'm going to see plenty of Spanish. There's been some false albacore out there. Jacks are starting to show. I've even seen a few tarpon rolling around already. So it's, it's that, that scenario, sharks. I mean, hey, not everybody wants to catch a shark, but, man, they pull good. The guy I had on the boat today, we had over a 100-pound black tip. Man, it, it was, an he was fish. excited about that. Huh? It's an underrated fish, the black tip. I mean, it's a really, it is, it's it a is. game fish, fish essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so it, it's, I really like to get out in the ocean this time of year and just look. Yeah, um, sure. Water's pretty clear. There's shad schools. There's menhaden schools. I'm just starting to see the mullet part of push around a little bit. Um, and it's just, it, it, there, there's almost always an opportunity where this time of year, if the wind gets tough and I get stuck inshore, I have to work hard to make opportunities a lot harder inshore than I do uh, fishing around the inlet of the ocean. For sure. Um, so that's why now, you know, don't get me wrong. Fall comes along or, or, or earlier spring. And I have op- other opportunities inshore, especially in the fall, but summertime that, that, you know, near shore, um, around the inlet stuff really does pay off for just a lot of opportunities. You know, we're talking earlier about being prepared. It is frustrating the fact that I do have, I'm carrying like 11 different rods, you know, 11 <laughs> rods with me. You know, a couple Cobia combos, a couple medium combos, some light combos, a couple high-speed spinnerel combos for throwing metal for, for uh, you know, for false albacore and Spanish mackerel. Yeah. Um, so that's frustrating. But the cool thing is, is like today we pulled, we pulled up to a spot, a little ledge. There was some bait there. I'm getting the baits out for cobias, and I look over and the mackerel are jumping. So a client just picks up a rod. It's already got a, you know, Spanish candy tied on it. First cast, you know, pound and a half Spanish mackerel. So they got dinner to take home. You know, we didn't get the cobia, but they had a blast catching Spanish and some blues while we were uh, bait fishing for cobia. Yeah. And so it's a good, um, it's a good, it's good customer service. You know, it really is. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an eye strike Texas eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. 
Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide Kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Yeah, I think it goes a long way for people too when you have those rods already rigged up. When the opportunity pops up and and maybe they don't think about it, but then who cares if they don't realize that, you know, you were one hundred percent prepared for any anything that might pop up, you know. So it, it's it's cool to have those rods. What does stink is when I forget or when someone forgets and I've got all these rods and I'll a cast goes through a few rods, you know, that are vertical or something like that and break a couple of rods. That's my only fear ever of when I pile the rods on the boat for a lot of different things, but Outside of that, it is, uh, it's nice to just already have what you need tied on, have a different rod for each application, and, and be ready to go. Yeah, and, you know, I see, I see anglers go both directions, uh, too many or not enough. I, I, I really feel like I see a, a, a lot more anglers in the water not have enough. Right. And, and everybody's financial situation is different. I understand that. But at least having one ready. For sure. Uh, with a jig or a circle hook and a wind-on leader for a live bait to cast to a cobia or a jig rigged up to cast to a cobia. That kind of stuff can go from, a, oh, let's just go catch some Spanish mackerel to a 50-pound cobia laying on the deck. Right. And that's what dreams are made of. And so it is important because I have also been the guy out there where I wasn't prepared, flipping out, trying to get something rigged out because there's a 50-pound cobia sitting under the boat. Yeah. I've been there too. I think anyone who's been in the ocean a decent amount has had that scenario. And then like every spring, I'm like, I'm not going to the ocean without a jig tied on a bucktail or something like that. Yep. And then, you You know, and then the day that I forget is when I see a, you know, a huge cobia swims up to the boat when I'm stopped or I'm pulling a Spanish planer into the back of the boat and cobia swims up after it. And you're like, well, it would have been nice to listen to my rule. So. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you hear the people on the the radio, they're like, oh, there's a 50 pound cobia just hanging under a boat. Can't get a bite. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you the story, but the a Kobe I caught a couple of years back. We were flounder fishing. I had I had live bait rod or I had like some big live bait rods ready to go, um, and just didn't. I had all my pogies had died, so we were fishing. You know, some structure on the bottom out off the beach, and this big Kobe comes up to the boat, and I didn't have anything. I, or I didn't have any live bait. I put I pitched like a dead pogie to him two or three times, and he wouldn't touch it. And he had followed an oyster toad up to the boat. And I threw the oyster toad back in. He like chased it down, and then a few minutes later, he followed, or we caught another oyster toad. I kept it on the boat. A few minutes later, he followed another oyster toad off the bottom. I took the little oyster toad and like skin hooked it on a big circle hook, and pitched it out to the cobia. And we ended up catching the cobia on an oyster toad, <laughs> which is my favorite cobia story. Just because I was like, I never, who would have ever thought I would have caught him on an oyster toad? But they're pretty opportunistic. Yeah. Well, and you know what's crazy about that? That's cool. I haven't, I haven't seen that, but. What I have found in Cobia's belly will blow your mind. They 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 must eat a lot of tums or Pepto Bismol uh, <laughs> because I tell you what I find the most is I find small stingrays, um, and I mean lots of small stingrays. Like I've pulled like eight out of one big Cobia's belly, and I tell you what else too is uh, is, is is porcupine blowfish. The really? ones that have the really nasty spines. Yeah, yeah. I found one one day, one daggone Kobe, bigger Kobe, had five five of those in his belly. And in the bottom of his belly, thousands and thousands of the little L bo- sharp b- bones that actually make the spike. And, if you know, when they pop them up, they're, they're actually the shape of an L, but you only see the, the sharp point. Right, right, right. And there were thousands of them in the in the bottom of the belly. Oh my of this gosh! Coach. So he just been um, so, feasting on those things. Oh yes, I, I mean I, they're not afraid, and I have pulled two 
Stingray barb out of the rib uh, from the inside of Kobe is a must. Always check the ribs to find Stingray barbs where Stingray sting them in their belly. Oh, my God. Can you survive. imagine what that would feel like? I mean, you got to think about it. If it's in his ribs, it went through his belly. It went through his stomach bag, his, you know, his belly, his stomach. And he's still and it, I have found two in my lot, two different Kobe's with, with them in, in, their, in their rib case. Golly, that is crazy. I've never so heard they, that. They're not picky. Um, yeah. They're not picky, but they are. You know, Kobe's one of those fish that will, 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 will just put their foot down and say, no, I'm not eating anything. I hang around your boat like a pet. And then I've seen them. I mean, I've got videos of small cobias jumping out of the water, literally trying to get them in hate. <laughs> yeah, uh, just dep- it depends on the fish and it depends on the day. Yeah, for sure. I uh, it's not surprising that the cobia ate this, but there was one I called up in the Chesapeake one time that had twenty after twenty something. I can't remember how many, but it was over twenty mantis shrimp, and that was it. All it had was mantis shrimp in its stomach, but they, it had over yeah. twenty of them, like the big old. They look like little lobsters almost. But that that was uh that was an interesting one as well, and I and you know suckers were popping like crazy all the way down his throat. Oh yeah, I, I I mean, those are those guys, those aren't they known for being pretty strong? That pop can be pretty. Brutal. Yeah, they, I mean they can hurt you. Yeah, if you're not here. I mean literally they can hurt you holding them. God. Um. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, they're tough. They're tough uh, fish for sure. But man, they're fun. They're so fun to catch yeah. and so fun to sight fish and um, yeah. can be so frustrating. So what what would you say your go to artificial and then go to live bait would be to be cobia prepared in the summertime when you're out on the, on, in the ocean. My, my go-to, um, and, and most people know, um, I know I'm preaching the choir. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big Berkeley guy, but I like the, the Berkeley fusion bucktail. And the reason I like the fusion so much is it has double eyelets on it. It's got an eyelet on the top for jigging and it's got an eyelet on the very front of it, which will allow that jig not to sink as quickly. Um, and I found sometimes when Kobe are away from the boat side fast, side casting, if that jig drops too fast, they'll, they'll chase it down and then ignore it and come back to the surface. And, and with that eyelid on the front, I can flutter that sucker and keep it on the surface longer, especially with a, like a gold, um, grub on it or just some type of big grub with a big curl on it, big curly tail, cause that'll actually parachute it and slow it down. Um, so you can, cause I want a lot of action, but not a lot of forward action. I want to drive them crazy. Because yeah. when something's run away from them, they they, get, they will get shot. Um, but I want a lot of action right in front of their face. And I go bright, chartreuse, white, pink. I love the salmon red, gold baits. I mean, they, they don't care about color. I mean, yeah. God, look what they eat. They, color doesn't matter. Yeah. I just like bright, so it's a lot of action. Um, so that, that in, a, in, a, in an ounce, ounce and a half, two ounces at the most. I don't like to get too heavy because, there again, I like it to be able to stay on the surface as much as possible and yeah. keep it right in front of those that cobia. I feel like I get more bites, more reaction bites that way. Um, and then the other is going to be, I'm, I mean, I, I love throwing live baits to them. And it's really hard to, to beat a live men hating. In that five to six inch range on a on a trocar, eight or nine alt, um, you know, circle hook. Yeah. That, that it's, that, that's going to be, I don't have to work as hard with a live bait to get them a bite. You know, good, fresh, lively bait. I don't clip their fins or anything. I want that live bait trying to get away. You know, I want them, I, w- I want that to light that Kobe up. Um, but, you know, a shad is good. A spot is good. I've caught plenty of Kobe on tin fish. And, no, I do not cut their their spines off. I mean, daggone. Look, they're eating porcupine fish, stingrays, and mantis <laughs> stuff. I mean, they're not going to stop and not eat that because it, the tin fish has fins on its back. Yeah, I they're, they're going to take – take that opportunity for sure it's yeah lively is important i think more than anything um when baits don't seem to really react to a cobia coming up to them it seems like cobias aren't as interested 
Yeah. They're expecting it to take off, you know. Um, so that, that's something that's important for sure. Um, the only thing I stay away from is, believe it or not, a mullet. Yeah. I don't really like mullet. I like mullet for a lot of different fish. Um, but I think mullet are too damn fast sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And they, they're, they're jumping. They can be they can be tough. They can be tough to, to lock in. Yeah, it can be. Not, not that a cove, you wouldn't need a mullet in a heartbeat, you know, especially maybe like hook through the back or something. If you hook a mullet through the lip, man, dab, wood. It's a cob mullet, like five to eight inches. Oh, yeah. That's, a tough, that's tough for a cove to catch. <laughs> they're like, that's like an Olympic athlete, the equivalent of an Olympic athlete and a fish, essentially. <laughs> it's a, and they'll jump. They'll jump. I've seen them literally jump over cobias, over barracudas, over sharks, like jump right over the back of them when they try to eat them. Yeah. They'll go right for the body. They don't they're, care. They're they're very very uh, very acrobatic. I think one one thing two, or two things I thought of why you were sharing that. One is like it's funny because cobia. Every time you see a cobia uncasted too, just swimming, they're so slow. They're you know not lethargic, but just very methodical fish. But when they want to eat something, they can turn it on. I mean, they can swim very very fast, and and it's it's yeah. surprising. And then talking about the bright colors you like. I've made the mistake before of throwing natural colors to cobia. Great. I mean, not that they won't eat them, but you make a long cast to a fish, that bright color, you can really see where it is in relationship to that fish and know if the cast is good or bad or, you know, where the fish is chasing that, that jig. A lot of times you bomb a, a real natural color out there and you're working it back real fast and you see the fish reacting, but you can't tell exactly how far away that jig is from it. And that can be beneficial sometimes to, to know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it does have a it does have a, a double double positive there, and they like I said they they aren't they aren't picking when it comes to color, right? Um, so good bright you can kind of control that scenario for sure, for sure. So no, that's uh that's exciting, man. I have not uh, I, I've seen a few co or, or sorry I've seen a few triple tail. I've seen a Kobe this year. I've not called any yet, um, but but excited to to get out there. I'm actually going up to the Chesapeake next week to fish with a buddy for two days and. And come back. So hopefully, I'll hopefully the weather will be nice and and we'll uh, yeah. We'll they, get should be, they should be getting pretty good now. I'm excited about it. But all right, outside of Cobia, um, this time of year, we were talking about flounder fishing. Used to, I mean, you and I, especially yourself, um, I would say I'm a lot newer to the ocean flounder fishing game of as of the past four or five years is when I really started to fall in love with it. But um, this. As far as summertime season goes, not not the keeping season, but just the fish being here and fishable in the ocean, when does that kind of start, would you say? Usually most seasons May, I start to see the fish show up pretty good. And, you know, I'm fishing anywhere from one mile to about six or seven miles. There are plenty of fish further off. I had a friend bottom fishing um, last week in that pretty weather. He had a big old, big old fat eight-pound gulf. Uh, he did release it. He did release it. He, I, I, I believe him. He's, he's good. He's good people. But he was he was thirty some miles offshore grouper fishing. That a big old eight pound gulf flounder. That's crazy. Um, so they they get way out there. When it's commercial grouper fish, we catch them way offshore occasionally. Um, but but in that you know in that in that bay boat, easy fishing anywhere from one to seven miles. Um, I used to fish a lot. I used to fish further than that offshore, but with these short seasons, there's no reason to go that far offshore anymore. Right. You know, every, you know, month, two weeks, whatever we get. I hope we get. I hope we get a week this year. Yeah. We should know soon, hopefully. Um, but uh, you know, I don't have to go that far. But 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 during, you know, when off season, I, I tell customers all the time. Years ago, not long ago, I, I never had a customer that said, "I can't say never, but rarely." Hey, uh. We want to do some catch and release flounder fishing. Right. I occasionally get an angler that wanted to learn how to flounder fish, you know, 
Um, and that, you know, but back then it didn't matter. We caught a flounder, they keep it because there wasn't a season. But now I'm actually only catching a wee flounder trips, and I don't run a lot of them. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's hard to advertise something like that, but I get customers that just, they've never seen a flounder. They want to catch one. They want to learn how to catch a flounder. And the ocean is just so easy. There is so many more fish, uh, in the ocean. Um, you're dealing with three species instead of predominantly one. I mean, you got your gulfs, your summers, and your southerns. And, and, and honestly, a lot of the bottoms that I fish, I'm predominantly catching gold flounders. Um, so it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's just, it's easy fishing. It's, um, it's a lot of vertical jigging or drifting. And, um, I love to use a, a ounce, ounce and a half bucktail. If there's a little bit of breeze or current up to a two ounce, but, uh, one of my philosophies is as much as you need as far as weight goes, but as least you can get away with. Yeah. That's a great um, way to put it. Because you do want it to look natural. Um, you know, and, and I like to drift, but if the boat's moving really fast and you're, the angle of the line starts to get not, not, you know, starts to get off beat a little bit, start getting some angle, not straight up and down. All you're doing is dragging. You're not jigging. And all you're going to do is get hung up. Right. And then you're going to get mad because you lost $8 and, you know, and a, and a jig and a goal. <laughs> um, but that's important. So like spot lock or anchoring is very good. I like to drift, but it takes perfect conditions to drift for those fish. Yeah. Like literally no wind. The boat just barely moves. So you, um, if you're drifting, you, you're only going to drift if you can still pretty much stay almost, stay almost vertical. Yeah, exactly. It makes yeah. a big difference. And that doesn't happen a lot. Sometimes first thing in the morning. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sometimes first thing in the morning it does. But um, but if I can't keep that line pretty vertical, um, we're gonna anchor up or spot off for sure. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. So as far as as far as your finer fishing goes, I kind of want to ask the same question. Like we were talking about, Kobe, you you know, you're going out and you want to fish artificial and bait. What does that look like? What are your what kind of rigs are you are you prepared with? Yeah, so for for me, I'm 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 an oddity in it with flounder. I I would honestly say 99 percent of the time I'm throwing artificial inshore ocean for flounder fishing um I've, i'm just i'm catching i'm catching more fish and bigger fish when i switched over years ago um i feel like it's uh it's easier when the fish bites there's no delay they, they just inhale these these jigs um so so for me it's going to be uh in the ocean i'm gonna be throwing that one 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 and a half up two ounce uh bucktail and I like, you know, white, pearl white, chartreuse, bright colors, easy. I don't use anything dark or anything red or anything like that, just just light colors. And then I'm going to throw, like, either Berkeley Gulp Jerk Shad on there, a five-inch, a six-inch, a four-inch shrimp. Um, I like to go – I don't really like curly tails for flounder fishing because I, I, I like to be able to get to the bait in the bottom and still it. I don't want much of that parachute action, that, that drag from, like, a curly tail or grub. So I like the flu for the jerk shad. I like the four-inch shrimp. They give it some body. Give that bucktail some body and some scent. I like colors, pearl white, chart pepper neon, fire tiger, salmon red, bright colors. Same thing like really with the cobia. And, um, and in the ocean, I use a 50-pound fluorocarbon leader, which sounds heavy, but there's so much sharp stuff on that bottom I've learned over the years. About four years ago, I switched over from 40-pound fluoro to 50-pound fluoro in the ocean. And what I found is, I lost less tackle, and we're still catching the same amount of fish. The nice. catch ratio was the same, but I lost less tackle. So all the sharp coral and barnacles and everything, everything's just really sharp down there. Yeah. Um, so I, I did that, and, and it's not a long piece, two feet. A uh, little loop knot to the, to the uh, little loop in the uh, in the bucktail there, and then I use an Albright to tie my 4 to my braid. 
uh, and just a light hop on the bottom, just a little hop, nothing big. We'll bump it, let it sink back down, bump it, let it sink back down. I like to make contact with the bottom every time. And when 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 you feel like you're you're hung up on the bottom, dead weight, um, set the hook. It's either a hang or a flounder. Yep. And I've learned, I told my customers, don't test it. If you feel some weight, set the hook. Because if you test it and pull that flounder off the bottom, they're usually going to spit that lure out. And flounders are very good at shaking hooks and spitting out. They hold on pretty hard, but when they let go, you don't set that hook before they let go. I mean, it's, it's gone. Right. So I tell my customers, listen, you might come tight and jerk, and it's, it's going to be a hang. It's going to be the bottom. That's fine. I would rather them get hung than to miss a bite. Uh, because they started feeling a little pressure, so they lift it up a little bit. And then what happens a lot of times is they lift up, they feel dead weight, well, they start reeling. Well, what they, they didn't set the hook. And then sometimes you get that fish, but a lot of times they get that fish halfway up and the fish shakes the hook because they never set the hook. That, yeah, that happens so much, so, so much. Yep, flounder especially. Sp- flounder especially, yep. And, and I think one thing that's that's good to mention, too, at, at least – what I've noticed is if you decide if you're fishing for these flounder out of season, out of keeper season, yeah, I think in the ocean it's so important to fish artificial because you you're not like bait fishing for flounder in the ocean. A lot of times you deep you you have the chance to deep hook them. I feel like, and so when you're when you're bait fishing, a lot of times you're getting that hook set quick, or when you're artificial fishing, you're, you're getting that hook set quick, like like Jot was saying, and way less chance of harming that fish. You can get up to the top pop the hook out easily, release them, let them go. Um, and, and if you are going to fish bait for flounder before the season's in, you know, fish a type of hook that you can set or you can, you know, reel into them real quick and, and not not d- give them the chance to deep hook or get deep hooked. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it, the, the – the, uh, and I can – you know, I, I try to be as, as conservation-minded as possible uh, in everything I do fishing-wise. Um, but there's certain things – I'm in a charter business, so I've got I've got to get fish in the boat for customers. For sure. Uh, so when we're when we're doing when we're off season fishing, I do uh, uh, bite the barb down, pump the barb down, uh, crump the barb down on those bucktails. But my I tell my customers, listen, we're going to catch some fish, but we're going to lose some fish. Right, right. We, we do this because flounder are one of those that are very are they shake that head so violently, it's amazing. I mean, as soon as you hook one, I know every time with a 90% ratio that it is a flounder by the way it fights and the way it shakes its head because right. it's a very different head shake. Um, and they're cool with that because they never let them go anyway. Um, but during season, oh, no, 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 you better have that barb ready. Because yes. <laughs> even with yes. that barb, they, they do. But we don't see, I mean, very many uh, deep throat hook flounders. And I'm throwing, you know, these baits are over six and seven inches long. We got a six inch jerk shad in the buck, so that's over a seven inch long total length bait, just about. Um, and it's amazing. We'll catch a 12 inch flounder with that big old bait, and we'll catch uh, a 10 pound plus flounder with that bait. Right. And they're all hooked the same way. They're all hooked in the mouth. Yeah. Um, it's. I think it's that initial attack is so aggressive. For sure. Um, the way they just suck it in like a bass, you know, and that's why you don't fill them. Um, and they just sit on it. You know, they suck it in and boom, you got them. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's so much different than a than a fish that doesn't lay on the bottom for a living. You know, a redfish or anything like that's going to kind of take off a little bit and it's going to feel a little different. But the flounder, it's just like it's like you you jig it up, something slapped it with a baseball bat underwater, but then nothing happened after that. Like you've got to be the next move, essentially. <laughs> yep. That's so, it. Uh, well, cool. So, what else before we wrap up? You know. We talked about Spanish. Is there anything else that, that you're kind of targeting out there in the ocean? With I know there's tons of stuff, but with any type of consistency this time of year um, that we haven't chatted about? 
just you know, if we get those, if uh, something I will do, and this is this is not a regular scenario for me, but when the when the Kings get on the beach, yep. and it's been an interesting King Michael year. It's been very slow overall for King Michael, especially last couple of weeks. But the last two days, there's been a flurry on the beach. Uh, Mercer's Pier had a good day yesterday, and it looks like they caught some more kings today on the beach. And and, and it, it kind of comes hand in hand. I've noticed in the last week the green shad, the greenies, the thread fins, whatever yeah. you call them, are have just like a light switch showing up on the on the beach. Um, and I've seen a few the last couple weeks, but this week, you know, last week and this week, man, is there some shad around? And I got to feel like that's the reason why. Because I'm seeing Shad not just at the inlet, but I'm just I'm just driving around and marking. And Shad mark very distinctly on a fish finder. They're very very easy for me to mark. I know when I'm marking Shad, I can drop a Sabiki rig right down and catch them. And the Shad and last you know, today and then into last week were everywhere. So I will do some king mackerel fishing um, around the inlet from time to time, just slow trolling or up and down the beach. If I know the fish are going off, I see the fish skyrocketing. I'm seeing those Shads cool. And, and I might end up doing that soon here because it, uh, it, it's been, you know, with the piers catching them, there's some fish out there. Oh, you know, sure. they, had a 40, they had a 40 pounder this morning. Wow. Uh, so a 40 and a 20, I think a Jack Cravel as well. And that was that was a while ago. It's been caught, probably caught more later. Um, and I, don't, I think yesterday they had six or seven. I want to say it was pretty, it was, it was noticeably good yesterday as well. Um, so, yeah, so I will do some king fishing from time to time. Uh, we'll get a bite off every once in a while if I'm light lining for Cody's, and you'll get that clean cut bite and a big flash. And I know it's the king, and the next leader that goes out will be a wire with some with a treble hook. Right. Um, right. But uh, but 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 mostly it's going to be the you know the mackerel and the false albacore, the cobia. You know, occasional lucky tarpon is in the mix just because they're traveling and they just keep getting here early and earlier every year. Um, you know, getting some reds in the ocean. I've only had a few. That usually gets a little better starting in July for yep. us. Um, but they're already catching pretty big ones in the Pamlico Sound. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, I suspect we'll see some of those bigger grade reds in the next couple weeks to a month for sure. Yeah, I would agree. It seems like everything's getting a little bit ahead each year. So it's, uh, yep. it, it is, uh, it's always kind of, you know, you look at your, your old logbook or your old pictures and you can almost, but, but this year I would say everything has been, some of the stuff's been a little behind just because that ocean temperature has been, a little bit cooler than it normally is this time of year. Yeah, like it rushed up. Everything rushed in early, and then it just cooled right down. Right, and it's been – I think we're finally probably out of those north north wind mornings, but uh, definitely kept that ocean. I mean, it was 73. I looked last week, and it was still – we were had 74 in Jacksonville, Florida, off a mile off the beach. So that's uh, yeah, that's but, cold. That's but, a little chilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had I – had, uh, I had 73 to 74 today in the ocean, um, and I saw anything from 72 to 76 inshore on the tide. Nice. You know? Thank you. Well, sweet. Well, Jot, tell people if they want to get out and do some fishing with you here out of, you know, the wilmington Wrightsville Beach area, uh, how they can get a hold of you and where they can find you. Yeah, website is the whole word, captainjot.com, captainjot.com. Uh, Instagram, Captain John Owens, and uh, 910-233-4139 is the hotline. Awesome. Well, you guys, you will not be disappointed if you book a trip with Jot and get out and do some fishing. Not only is he is he one of the OGs, but he's just dialed in on what he does and, and just a great personality to hang out with. So, man, I appreciate you hopping on and, and doing the podcast, and we'll have to do another one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Judd. Yeah, for sure. Guys, thanks for listening to another Eastern Current podcast. As always, we, we appreciate you, and we'll see you next week. Later. 
If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.